Hello, and welcome to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of Flash of Steel. I'm your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is a cold panel down to freelance writer Tom Chick. Hello, everyone. I have a coffee here. If anyone needs one, uh, let me know, and I'll go get you one. You're going to say that every week, aren't you? I'm trying to make that my catchphrase. <laughs> is, it, is it taking? <laughs> and our... Julian Murdoch. Did you say this was a cold panel? Because that that strikes cold. me as that strikes me as like not particularly cold nice. panel. Cold, cold. Does that yes. mean we got rid I, of, I heard we got rid of the weak members of the tribe? We called the herd. Yes. Excellent. I heard cold also meaning like we don't have any notes. Like we're just like we're improving. That's sort of what I thought he meant. Oh, this is all improv. I think I have notes in front of me. All I have is Google and Wikipedia. <laughs> And that's all I need. I should mention that this podcast is brought to you by Sega, because apparently I'm a shill, according to the comments on my Crispy Gamer rebuttal to Tom's Empire review. Totally Wait, did we introduce shill. Julian? We did introduce we Julian, did. yes. Oh. Where's that Bruce fella? Isn't he supposed to be here? I feel a little naked if Bruce isn't here. <laughs> that's kind of sad. Yeah, Bruce can't be with us tonight, but hopefully he'll be back uh, in a future week. Oh. I know, it's rough out there. Well, you know, uh, since Bruce isn't here, and this will just be a tease for later in the show, no. I have something that I want to talk about that I can only talk about when Bruce isn't here. Because if he were here, and I tried to talk about what I want to talk about, he would, he would like, pull a Christian bail on our asses. <laughs> uh, now, so we'll, that'll be a tease for later in the show. American Psycho Christian Bail, or Batman Christian Bail, or Terminator, Terminator Salvation Christian. Set Christian yeah, Bail. Actually, you know what? Set. All of the above. Except without the cool Batman part. I'm Batman. <laughs> so I can only do that with, without Bruce being here, so that'll be a teaser. I'm for excited. Later. I'm excited. Oh, for yeah. I'm looking forward to it, too. I like being teased. Uh, let's get down to business. And I want to start with, I think, the big sad strategy news of the week, and that is the sale and possible closure of the Brian Reynolds developer, uh, big Huge Games, the house behind oh. Rise of Nations, Rise of Legends, and the XBLA Settlers of Catan, and also Asian Dynasties, which was an excellent expansion for Age of Empires 3. Yeah, that's, what do you say? I mean, that just sucks. I mean, uh, what, what does that leave hanging for them? I mean, is there anything that that leaves sort of without a publisher? Wait, well, well, I wouldn't... Go ahead, Troy. Well, they're working on a role-playing game at the moment. There right. is one in okay. development. Um, I guess... THQ is just cutting that and everything they're doing loose. Um, there aren't too many details on it. They, just, they said they want to sell the developer. Um, and it's, the sooner they can sell it, the better. I think this is part of the long-standing reports that THQ itself is in a lot of financial trouble. I would actually question whether or not this is even strategy game news. And not to be a wet blanket, it is terrible. Right. I love everything. You know, Brian Reynolds is, and I would say this about very few people, as far as like game developers go, that guy's a, a freaking hero to me. He's an mm -hmm. amazing, I mean, he's a huge, I mean, video gaming wouldn't be the same without him. Uh, it, but I, they're not, they've kind of bailed on the whole strategy scene. You know, they were doing a console uh, RPG. Right. Um, and the, it's been, I guess, the last thing that they did was the Asian Dynasties thing and the Settlers of Catan thing. Uh, but I question whether or not that was the direction they were going to be going in the future. So, in a way, 
no great loss for strategy gaming. That's terrible to say, but I think that might be the case. Well, but the the key thing for me is that this means the chance of getting a Knights and Cities expansion for XBLA Settlers of Catan goes oh, right good God. the toilet. <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. I mean, was, was there really talk of that? Or is, Absolutely. Is, is that I mean, Settlers I did an interview with him. Okay. I did an interview with him right after Catan launched, and he was like hardcore Catan freak. He was. Uh, you know, he was in like the Nationals tournament every year for a couple of years. I mean, he was like hardcore. He went after that as a property he wanted to develop and and treated it lovingly, I think. And and whether or not it would ever come to fruition, they were, you know, it was a lot of, you know, can neither confirm nor deny. But <clears throat> all kidding aside, it, it does suck. And um, I, I have no doubt he lands on his feet. Uh, but I agree. I, I think it was unclear what they were going to be doing for strategy gamers in the near future. And by the way, another reason I wish Bruce was here is because then this podcast could turn into me and Bruce piling on you guys about how much Settlers of Catan sucks as a board game. Oh, it But does. he's not here, so. It does. It does. That's fine. I have no problem with that. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we got that out of the way. <laughs> People don't like so, Settlers of Catan as a board game? No. Uh, Nobody. It's. I mean, it's a great sort of gateway introductory game for the first two-thirds right. of any game. And and there are variants. Three players, cities, and knights can be a really great game, but they're the the core game. Like once you played it ten times, you played it way too many already. But I still play it. <laughs> it's a social game. I mean, there's nothing, especially for things like XBLA. I think we need more social strategy games where you can sit there and talk to three or four people while you're playing a game online. And it you know it recreates that sort of light strategy board game experience. They're not. It's a lot right of up there with. Games. With, with Uno, it's right up there with Uno. It's a little bit more interesting than Uno. <laughs> Although, have you played competitive Peggle? Because that's a blast. Yes. That is totally a I've blast. played it on the DS. I haven't, but no, I, I have not. Four Can we talk player? about that on a strategy gaming podcast? No, is that I don't allowed? know. How, how tied are our hands? All, all I will say is that four players... We can mention it in passing. Right. Four players. Okay, but no talking Peggle about it. ...is great. Okay, okay, but you can't talk about it. So you said it, so we've... We so I have to come on. up with a way to wedge Peggle <laughs> as a strategy game? I'll work on that. Is there a strategy shell? Like, is there any resource allocation in Peggle? No, no, not really. Yeah. Well, but, Tom, you're one of these about, people who, who thinks that Puzzle Quest Galactrix is a strategy game. Uh, I would maybe say that. Are you guys going to dispute that? Uh, no, I just want to see where well, you're coming from. Is there, something, can... is there something about Galactrix versus Puzzle Quest that makes you think it's more of a strategy game? Well, here, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. You mean more than Peggle or more than Puzzle Quest? Because Galactrix puzzle is quest. Puzzle more than Puzzle Quest. quest. I'm kind of confused the, about the question because Galactrix is Puzzle Quest. The original, no, puzzle, the original quest. puzzle Quest. Oh no, I think they're both. I would I would say they both sort of qualify for strategy gaming. Huh. Do you guys agree or no? Well, well I I'm curious how you I'm curious the way you're defining it to put that in the bucket. Yeah, I, I see them mostly as role playing games. I see them almost entirely this, this, as puzzle games. So this is great. I see them as strategy games. This is awesome. Uh, it actually will come... It, it's a bit about what I want to talk about later, which uh, I want to talk about because I think it's a strategy game, whereas nobody else would think that. It's something I've been playing lately. But yeah, it, Puzzle Quest is like a good test bed for what do you consider a strategy game, you know? what What's fair game for us to talk about here as, as strategy games? Uh, well, this is something that I've been thinking about as we've been doing this podcast because people have asked me, hey, are you just going to do strategy games? And... The more I think about it, I mean, I, I do want to focus on strategy games because first, those are the games I play most and the games I love most. I like my RPGs, but I'm really wedded to the strategy world. But when you try to 
put these boundaries around you know what is and what isn't you get into some really strange spots i mean for me sims is clearly a strategy game and all city builders are clearly strategy games but then you get into the uh the tactical battle stuff in like baldur's gate there's some real strategy some actual military planning and resource allocation sure so it comes down to the whole definition of you know what can we see strategy games really as this you know, box where there's an in and there's an out. I, re- I was rereading uh, James Dunnigan's book on his handbook of war games, and he has this ex- definition of what makes a war game a war game. And this was uh, written like 1990, so he has this chapter on computer war games, and a long list of them at the back. And his definition is a war game is anything with war and a simulation in it. <laughs> so he has, he, has, he has flight sims in there, and he has city builders, and he has civilization as a war game. And pretty much anything he's remotely interested in, he just sticks in the whole war game category. <laughs> which I think is pretty much is almost obscene. I well, mean, but, he knows, but he knows the, more about war games than I'll forget. But but, the, but this has been a this is a definitional problem, not just in computer games. I mean, my favorite I, like strategy board gaming site is Consim World, which doesn't even use the word war game. It's conflict simulations, you know, systems, and and you know, and I understand why they do that because things like. Uh, I mean, there are a ton of board games that aren't specifically like about killing people and moving units around a board that are deep strategy games. And so in the board game world, I think people have become much more comfortable saying that the definition of strategy is pretty loose. Whereas in the in the video game world, I think we still sort of get our knickers in a twist when people start trying to push Puzzle Quest on us. But it is, I mean, it is like, you know, there, there are definitely genres here. And, sure. and nobody, the, the genres uh, blending together and the lines blurring, that's definitely a good thing. Uh, Absolutely. And, and, you know, people getting their knickers in a twist are just for the, for, you know, message forums and podcasts, you know, yes. that, and that sort of, it's an interesting thing to talk about. Uh, but I think it's a good thing to talk about. And I think it forces us to examine. Uh, video games in ways beyond the traditional bullet point list and feature right. list and other well, graphics. Let's, let's good. talk about Spore then, because to me that was a case where I think there was a lot of attempt to try to create that genre crossing stuff. Mm-hmm. To me, mm-hmm. ultimately, almost every part of that became really what I would consider a strategy game. But a lot of people really only thought of that as being a strategy game sort of at the end, like when you were really talking about more civilization like. Uh, you know, strategy as opposed to the early creature stages, which, you know, the early creature stages are what got most of the press. But I considered all of that to be some pretty entertaining light strategy stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Spore is an interesting example, and I think it was Soren, Soren Johnson, who uh, was brought on board to work on it fairly late in the development, who, who made some comment to the effect of Spore is basically three different things. And it's each of these three things equally. And anybody who looks at one of these three things alone, it's probably going to, Spore is going to come up short for them. And the three things are, I believe one of them was, you know, it's a strategy game, which is what we're talking about here. But another thing it was, was a creature creator. This, this wonderful little toy box where you stick limbs and whatnot onto torsos. And then the third thing was this sort of community network creation sharing kind of website-y right. thing. The whole single-player uh, MMO social gaming thing. Right. Exactly. And that Spore was designed to be all three of those things, and anybody who comes at it 
from the perspective of I just want this one thing is probably going to be disappointed. And I came to Spore expecting a strategy game, and I was indeed disappointed because I didn't care much about the other two things. But I think that's a good point uh, about Spore in specific is that if, if you come from the perspective of a, a narrowly targeted genre fan to a lot of these games that blur the lines, you're, you're going to be disappointed. Well, but um, I think Spore there's a real is issue. a textbook example. I think there's a real issue about whether you can actually blur those lines as much as Spore did and still have a good game overall. I mean, I, I don't well, know. Well, that's, that's one issue, but then the other issue is, and I hate to shut you down like this because this is really cheap, how many copies did Spore sell? <laughs> a, a gazillion, I know. Uh, but but how, you know, how many of those did it sell, honestly, on the back of some brilliant marketing and on the back <laughs> of... Uh, you know, Will Wright's name. I mean, I think I think a ton of that game sold not because people played all the way through it, thought it was a brilliant game, and then told their friend who played all the way through it, thought it was a brilliant game, and told their friend. Right? I think that game was brilliantly marketed, and I don't think it's a bad game at all. I don't regret spending actual money on that game one iota. Uh, but I do think that it is neither... None of the things that it purports to be are done as well as it as could have been done if they'd had the focus. I mean, I don't look at that as a strategy right. game and say, "Man, I'm so glad that that was Soren Johnson's next project because that was every you know that was all barrels blazing of Soren Johnson goodness." I don't get that feeling out of it, you know. And well, well, by the way, I the would most talented say... guys in the business. Mm-hmm. I, I would, by the way, go on board and say that it's a bad game. I think it's a terrible game as a game. I think Spore is horrible. Uh, but as those other two things that Soren talked about, I can totally understand its appeal. Uh, well, but, okay. Well, then, I mean, what are you putting the bucket of game around there? What, what are you trying to shove it into? Because if you're saying it's just a bad strategy game, I can get on board with that. I actually did really sort of enjoy all of the experiences of it to some level. And, you know, my my sort of gauge for whether or not I think a game is a good game or not, um, because I try not to have to write reviews, I don't understand how you guys do it, you're better men than I am, um, is how much did I play and do I feel like I got a lot of enjoyment out of that time? Oh, God. Right? Uh, you, you came so close to using the word fun, didn't you? You were you were almost going to tell us that Spore was fun, weren't you? It was fun. I enjoyed okay. it. Ah! Ah! Gonna give Tom an uh, allergic oh, reaction. Oh my! I gotta go. I uh, got. I'm feeling a little woozy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We, you may not should... know this about me, Julian, but uh, I I think that fun is a horrible metric to introduce into like a critical discussion about a game. And I'm I'm basically just pulling your leg. But anytime somebody says something is fun, I immediately just sort of shut down and I'm like, okay, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, and I, I say that in jest. I, I totally get what you're saying, and I totally get that some people enjoy Spore and really like the design. Uh, and yeah, you know what? I can't dispute. Sure, Spore is fun. Uh, Spore can be fun. I, I totally agree. Um, but anyway, that's... But, I should by just the same token, you, I didn't recommend it to anybody, right? I mean, that's that, right. that to me is the ultimate goal. The, the ultimate metric is that I call any of my friends and say, dude, did you buy this? Because this rocks. <laughs> Absolutely not. Certainly nobody I recommended that I would say it. I recommended to. it to a couple of people, but you know, it's based on stuff they play. If you were... If you really like, you know, the messing around with stuff in The Sims, if you like, you just you were changing clothes all the time and always rebuilding your house, I think Spore is pretty much right in at least the first three or four stages um, is really in their ballpark. Ironically, I think the closer Spore came to becoming a game, the final stage, the less interesting I found it. I agree completely. I agree the more completely. it was a, the more it was a sandbox, and it was very simple stuff, and you had clear goals in front of you. 
that was great. I was playing around and I get to the next phase. But you know, you know that, once it was this interminable galactic stuff. Yeah. Uh, which was good and well designed, but it just wasn't as interesting. Well, and, and to be honest, I, I, I was playing that at the same time I was hooked on Sins and the same time that I was playing uh, the, you know, the, the oh, I don't even remember what it's called. The, the, the galactic stuff in Beyond the Sword um, for Civ Four. That you know, right. that, it, which was basically just uh, you know painting uh, galactic stuff onto the Civ Four skin, but I still had a blast with it, right? So it, it paled in comparison to how fun those were. And to be honest, I probably put more hours playing the Spore game on my iPhone than I actually spent playing Spore on my PC. Oh, ouch! Isn't isn't Spore on the iPhone just dinking around with a little creature swimming in the primordial ooze? Yeah, but but Tom, it was fun. Oh, uh, you would do that, <laughs> wouldn't you? You would. <laughs> That's just cheap. Now that I've now that I've told you about my button, you're just going to press it mercilessly, aren't you? So to bring no, this no. back to where we started, uh, what in Puzzle Quest Galactrix, Tom, do you think qualifies it? I mean, if we accept that it's going to be genre blending, it's a match three puzzle game, clearly role playing stuff. Where do you see the strategy stuff coming in? Uh, I want to answer that question, but can we go to Julian first because sure. I have to <laughs> I have to go let my cat in. What? <laughs> I'll what be we, right what back. What are we going so Julian, to for? <laughs> for why is Puzzle Quest Galactic? You let strategy? your cat in and we can edit out the cat. No, leave the cat in. This should be a very organic podcast. Julian, you go first and explain. I have played 20 oh. minutes of Galactics on somebody else's DS, so I have not yeah. played this game. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess I'll have... Troy, you go. Well, Troy Goodfellow, I, yeah, why I, is Puzzle I, Quest Galactics a strategy game? Go, and I'll be right back. <laughs> Oh, yes, a strategy game. You know, I'm not convinced that it is. I'm not convinced the strategy game. I thought I saw some strategy elements in there in the, uh, you know, the collection of resources and developing of weapons, uh, but really it seemed to me a little more sophisticated. It's a, it's a great game, and I love it, but, you know, not quite as, no more of a strategy game than collecting, you know, different medals and building a super sword in Neverwinter Nights. Right. Um, but there is the strategy aspect of which part, how do you configure your ship to beat like a given puzzle? Uh, or how do you, uh, okay. maybe that is an RPG thing, but I tend to look at that like each little puzzle as a little strategy game, uh, almost. Right. Cat scene. So that, that's part of why I think of it is it's sort of like what strategy games sort of engage a different side of my brain than most other games. And Puzzle Quest isn't quite just a puzzle game to me. It's, it's got a sort of a bigger feel that right. plugs into that strategy corner of my brain. See, I, 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 mean, I see what you're coming from, and I, but I see that more as a role-playing mechanic, as you know, outfitting your kit so you can you know, beat the next boss sort of thing. Um, now, what well, but, type of... But I think, I mean, if we're going to talk about ahead. real genre blurring, I know plenty of people that would try to defend World of Warcraft as a strategy game because they would say sure. that the RPG aspect, especially once you get sort of towards the end game, none of the traditional tropes of RPG actually matter all that much. You're not leveling up anymore. And it really does become a game of resource tuning, right? The game becomes yeah. a game of maximizing a system which is i think something most of us would associate with a strategy game right face a particular right. challenge maximize your resources um you know figure out the optimal use of a system to achieve a goal and most of the people i know that are hardcore late game wow players they really play that as much as a strategy game as somebody putting asl on the table for an evening 
I think you can make that case for World of Warcraft, especially if you have to manage one of these huge raids, and you have to make sure everybody's in the right place, and your units, which are your raid partners, are in the right position, and they're performing the role optimally. I mean, I could, yeah, absolutely, at the, at the especially at the highest end where you're not gaining experience anymore. And you can now you know, play, you can now play Bejeweled inside WoW, so it's the ultimate genre bender. Right? <laughs> <laughs> would you consider? Would you guys consider uh, the old Elite a strategy game? Hmm. Hmm. Like with trading and maximizing your ship, and because that's sort of the the same vibe I get out of Puzzle Quest Galactrix. Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I mean, I guess I guess I would. I guess I would. I mean, a lot of those sort of trading and and you know resource collection games I consider strategy games. Wait, does that, that make, by the does that make Battle Cruiser three thousand a strategy game? <laughs> Ooh, I don't. I'm not even sure. I think, I think getting it, I think getting it launched on your machine is a strategy game. Once the game's <laughs> actually running, I think the game's over, isn't it? <laughs> There's uh I don't I don't know if either of you has played the little uh, Nintendo DS version of Grand Theft Auto, but there's a drug trading uh, mini game in there where you're buying and selling drugs, which and, and driving around selling them in different parts of town. Which I'm totally like, oh my god, this is elite, and and I'm like, this is a strategy game. We got to talk about this on the podcast. Uh, so, I mean, I, that that's again, it's totally, it's like that old, wasn't one of the original Unix games called like Taipan or Taiwan or where you like buy uh, goods and then sail to another port and sell them and okay it, it totally reminds me of that kind of thing uh, well I mean if we're going to get derivative we can go all the way back to Hammurabi right and sit here and figure out how many uh, bushels of grain we're going to stick in the storehouse for the evening I mean yeah I mean I think a lot of those sort of core resource and trading games I think that's a lot of what became the first good computer strategy games because frankly there wasn't good enough ai to make sort of real sort of unit combat like uh, ai strategy games well if i ever sit down and finish writing this book proposal on a history of strategy games i mean one thing i'm going to fight with is you know what makes a strategy game a strategy game clearly there are subsets of strategy games war games city builders those are all subsets of the strategy game genre uh, but it comes down to, you know, what is the core? What makes a strategy game not a shooter? Why is Call of Duty not a war game? For me, it's kind of like that classic Supreme Court definition of pornography. I can't yeah. define it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> uh, so that, that kind of uh, will segue nicely into this game that I want to talk about, that I'm convinced okay. is a strategy Go game, that I, that I accidentally started playing recently. And uh, totally got hooked on. So let me just. Mad so I don't. I don't even know what that is. That's the guy that directed Shakespeare in Love, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so so uh, you, Tr Troy, you said earlier The Sims is a strategy game. I totally agree with you yeah. on that. I think you and I have even talked about that before. I did an article on it. Like, I, yeah. The Sims is this awesome sort of your, your resources, time. How do you maximize it for the best return? So, Julian, are you on board with saying The Sims is a strategy game? Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. Okay. Let me throw another one at you. No one would dispute, even though it's got uh, uh, cutesy little graphics of little anime kids saving the world, no one would dispute that Disgaea is a strategy game. Has, has either of you played that? Yeah, yeah, no, I wouldn't dispute that. No, Disgaea okay. <clears throat> And Disgaea is as hardcore as XCOM, I think. Uh, but it, it demonstrates that it doesn't, that those cute little Japanese anime games can be strategy games. Now, here's another one. 
Uh, does either of you remember Sim Farm? I never played it, but I actually have a copy sitting here on a shelf. Are you going to tell me I should install it? Wow, what are you doing with a copy of Sim Farm? That's awesome. I have no idea. I have like all. I have like some ridiculous collection of like Sim Ant and Sim Copter and Sim everything. Oh, it's like a it's like a bundled yeah, pack. It's yeah, not like an yeah. original copy. Okay, I'm, I'm less impressed then. I was about I'm to sorry. be very impressed, Julian. I remember seeing uh, Sim Farm, but I've never played it. Well, Sim Farm was, uh, you know, you planted different crops and you sold them for different prices. I mean, it was sort of a strategy game about running a farm. It's a sim, except you called it a sim to be more friendly to, I guess, casual audiences or whatever. So, so this thing that I've been playing is like a combination of The Sims, Sim Farm, and Disgaea. Uh, and it's, it's, an out, it's, it's sort of an offshoot of this Harvest Moon series. Do you guys know what Harvest I Moon do. is? I do. I'm getting very afraid. Well, yeah. the, Harvest Moon is a cutesy Japanese anime sim farm kind of thing uh, where you start a farm and you plant crops and you raise animals and you meet the girls in the village and eventually you get married and you raise a family. And by the way, Julian, I'm a little surprised that you get queasy at talking about this because you play Agricola. I do. You And Agricola is the same thing i mean in agricola you have kids you grow uh crops you, you breed animals uh so agricola very much a strategy no, no, no I, one's I was getting queasy about harvest moon i wasn't getting queasy about the ah. weird direction you were going now have you played harvest moon no i have not oh i love those so this is like this this game i've been playing is called rune factory and it's like harvest moon but to make it more palatable to guys like us they tack a sort of an action rpg dungeon crawl onto the side of it uh, so you're playing this action RPG where, and it's time management where every day you get an allocation of basically stamina. They call them rune points, and that gives it the title. But you, it, it's all about how you spend your pool of stamina in a given day. Some of it you have to plant crops. Uh, if you have animals, you have to go and brush them, pay attention to them. And then some of it you can spend dungeon crawling. And the money you make with your crops can go into buying equipment for your dungeon crawl, which gives you more treasure to plant better crops, to expand your farm. The animals you can bring with you as sort of a, a combat pet. This sounds like uh, a board game. It totally sounds like a board game. As I'm playing it, I'm thinking, wow, this is this is the same sort of theme as Agricola, uh, except with a weird sort of Japanese now, is this, this has got to either be web-based or DS. We. We okay. so actually the okay. the first Rune Factory was uh, was for the DS. Okay, and this is its migration over to the Wii. Okay, uh, and uh, yeah, and so I'm I'm just loving that sort of Sims angle of how do you spend your Rune points in a day, and it constantly and this ties it into Japanese RPGs, and I can see how a traditional strategy gamer isn't going to make it very far because this I think what I'm about to tell you about would kill this for a traditional strategy gamer. Like a Japanese RPG, it folds its systems into the game very slowly and gradually. You've got to basically sit through the prologue, and then you've just got to plant crops for several days, and then it gradually folds in you know, the axe where you chop down lumber, and then you can finally tame animals. But it's, I've put in maybe six, eight hours, and there's still like a lot of the gameplay that I haven't even seen yet. Huh. Uh, so hmm. as far as presenting this system that you master, it just takes forever to roll it out. Uh, and I think that sort of would kill it for a lot of people. Um, so I was playing that, and I'm like, wow, this is totally a strategy game. Another thing that it does that I think very few games do, Troy, you said something about this at one point. Uh, it has this sense of seasons. 
Uh, spring plays a little differently, which plays a little differently from summer, which plays very differently from winter. Uh, in terms of what you can grow, in terms of what the weather's like. Right. And, and, and I always think very few games do that well. Troy, you made this awesome observation once about playing Europa Universalis and not attacking until January, because that's when the autosave is. Uh, <laughs> because you know if you screw up, you're going to go back and load your autosave. And I've, I always hated that, because I know the EU games, they do seasons. Yep. And, but the, the penalty isn't enough, like attacking in the winter. At least I never got a sense for that. That winter never really mattered to me. That the, the seasons in EU revolved more around the autosave than the in-game penalty for the seasons. And maybe yep. I was just never a good enough player. Um, but I love games that really create this sense of the progression of time and the, the sort of seasonal cycles of a year. And Harvest Moon really taps into that. I mean, the, the first day of summer is this awesome moment. There's a little festival. Everybody goes to the beach, and you can play mini games there. Uh, and then there's a, there's a, a fall harvest festival and where everybody brings out their pumpkins. And very few games have that sense of, of progressing time. Well, and it the, reminded me... The yeah, one, I mean, the one the, that... The one that jumps out at me most like when you uh-huh. said winter the one that make, made my testicles pull up is dwarf fortress because the first winter in dwarf fortress is like where the men are proved men i mean i i can't tell yeah. you how many people i know who like live in fear of the first three winters in dwarf fortress well, it, it, it's just like the, the the first winter of the pilgrims at plymouth rock and, <laughs> so, i mean unless so how does tell me how as someone who's never played dwarf fortress oh how does that God, how does it really? do it well, it's got it's got it's not, graphics. If I want that, I'll go read it. It's not very friendly. It's I mean, it's not very friendly. No, but game. it is. It is in my mind. It is the best strategy game I've played in years. I mean, I I could go on and on and on about that game. Yeah. But it. Um. But you know, you're basically building a pilgrim plantation right off the bat, except you're having to be building it into a mountain instead of out on the fields. And you basically have the first three seasons of the year to get it right, and then winter comes. And if you haven't managed to figure out how to keep people warm and get them fed, you, you're dead. Like, everybody dies, and you start all over again. And it is just a, it, the, the good news about it is that if you can't figure it out, it only takes you about half an hour to realize that you're dead, and you're going to have to figure it out again. So there's none of this, like, build it up for three or four hours of gameplay and then be like, oh, okay, here's the first winter. Boom, I got it wrong. Try again. Um, <laughs> And and it Agricola it just, reminds me of that a bit. It it is it Good. is very much like that. And and like most good strategy games, it's perpetual trade offs, you know, defense versus production versus trade goods versus, you know, core mm-hmm. subsistence farming. I mean it's it's got all of that stuff just beautifully balanced with phenomenal AI. So I I can't believe you haven't played Dwarf Fortress. That's like a. I mean, it's one of those that I keep meaning to play, but it's that whole learning curve. And I had someone uh, show me Dwarf Fortress once, and just looking over his shoulder, he was showing me his dwarves and his cave and whatnot. And I was like, that looks awesome. That looks great. I mean, I was a huge. Um, oh my god, I almost called it Netflix. A NetHack fan. Uh, so I'm I'm okay with ASCII graphics. I was just kidding before, but I just haven't gotten around that learning curve. Well, just for use Dwarf Bill Fortress. Harris's use Bill Harris's uh, like three page tutorial to get through the first winter because he's well. It's not like it, it's not like I don't like learning curves. I love learning curves. It's just as far as like carving the time out to sit down and do it. And, and Bruce and I had talked <laughs> before. We de- desperately wanted to do a Tom versus Bruce Dwarf Fortress. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd pay money for that. That would be great. <laughs> Even Jeff Green could not get that published. Well, that's what we were joking about too. Is we we would we just wanted to send in all those like screenshots of the ASCII characters and. <laughs> hey man, I but, got like uh, a twelve hundred word feature bot on that, so it worked okay. 
<laughs> well, a feature is one thing. Yeah, but a team, but no, like it's... Tom versus Bruce, yeah, that would be. <laughs> so another game that made me think the seasons, where I love uh, seasons, uh, impressions. Uh, it, ancient Egyptian city builder, uh, ch- not Children of the Nile. What was it? What was there? Oh, Pharaoh. Wasn't it Pharaoh? Yeah. That had the Nile periodically Nile flooding flood. and receding. I loved that sense of of the season progressing and how, you know, it, there was this this very clear concept of a cyclical time running over your game, to which credit, I really liked. To its credit, Children of the Nile had that too. It did the planting and the it had the flood and then the plant and then the harvest. And the so flood. they did do that. Okay, right, right. Yeah, because that that's a great part of the that Nile theme. Yeah. Uh, so, and another game, and this is not a strategy game, so this is kind of pushing it, but I think one of my favorite games ever in terms of showing the progression of a year was Bully. Because Bully yeah. starts you out Bravo. in the fall of a school year, and, and not just the tonal change of seasons. You know, you get to your first Halloween, and then it goes through winter, and, and then you get the spring, and then the game ends, and it's summer, and that's the time to just go and collect stuff and play all the mini-games and do whatever you want. You're, you're basically, at the end of Bully, you're set loose into the summer to just fuck around and do whatever you feel like doing. But Bully also captured the sense of a school year in that as soon as you arrive, you're just this sort of disaffected punk who everyone's picking on and you're alienated and nobody likes you. But over the course of the year, the other kids learn your name and they start responding to you differently. And by the time the first year is up... You know, by the end of spring, you're the big man on campus. And I just love that seasonal progression in Bully, not just for the weather, but for what a school year is like. Yeah, uh, that's I congratulations, because so few people give a crap about that game. And I, I will I will fight to the death to say that is the only Rockstar game I've ever really wanted to play. I mean, and I'm not a fan yeah. of the GTA ethos much less many of the games and i loved bully to death so for bully was yeah yeah that was my really felt like a real place and a real progression you know and it it really rang true despite the fact that it Mm -hmm. was essentially the gta model yep okay and that that also by the way i think it's worth noting that wasn't those guys in uh where's rockstar leeds where where those guys in england but anyway that was their vancouver branch i mean that was not those were not the guys who were making the the gta 4s and whatnot that was their own studio and those guys were just excellent yeah i think the observation of seasons is a good one and an important one because it Seasons are a great visual cue. They give you so much information if they're clearly displayed and you know what's going on. Um, you don't even need a whole lot of uh, manual stuff. People know what winter is. Mm-hmm. People know spring is a time for planting and fall is a time for harvesting. You can just communicate so much information if you know how to use seasons properly. And so few, so few games do that and so few strategy games do that now that I think about it. I've been sitting here racking my brain and trying to think of other examples of good strategy games that use seasons well, and it's really tough. So let yeah, me, yeah. Are there others? Let me ask a well, question about Empire Total War then, because uh, this is a game that I have decided after not nearly enough time I do not like and will not be playing much more of um, and wish that I had a way to sell it to somebody. Um, but <laughs> I've, I've been playing the, you know, I've been playing through the, the you know, Road to Independence campaign, um, and I've, you know, forced my way out of the Niagara Valley and all that. And I played with some of the multiplayer stuff around the corners. Um, but one thing that I sort of immediately noticed was, where's the part where I go on a campaign in January and all of my people die? 
Right. I, I mean, is that there? Did I just not get to the point where George no. Washington has to overwinter and I lose half my forces? They don't have that. And Europa Universalis tries to have some of that, and they don't do it very well, as Tom said. I mean, if you you know manage the size of your forces right, you can launch a winter offensive into Moscow without any trouble whatsoever. Right. Really, I'm trying to think of the birth of America does a very good job of oh. keeping your troops, you know, in cities in winter. If you try to campaign in the winter without a general who knows what he's doing, you're going to exhaust your supply lines, and you're going to lose a lot of men. Uh, it was one of the first things I learned in Birth of America, that December is not your friend in New England. It's turn-based? Yeah. Yeah. It's and what, bad, how long right? is a turn? A month. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I played, a, I played a fair, I mean, I played, to be fair, maybe four or five hours of Birth of America, so I didn't get anywhere near enough time to, to see that. But I did get the sense that there is a real sense of the seasons in that, and there's a real sense of... Uh, sort of environmental ebb and flow like terrain really seems to matter and yeah. uh, you really have to think about how and when you're getting places so that that is a game that seemed to get it right um, of course, on the real-time strategy front there was and I'm pretty sure gosh I hope I'm not attributing to this game a feature from another game I'm pretty sure it was Empire Earth maybe the second one or the third one that had dynamic weather and the way that would work is every now and then there would be a sort of a global weather modifier on the map. And the main expression of it was, I think when there were storms, you couldn't use air units. Empire, uh, there might have been some Empire other Earth things. Two. Okay. Empire Earth 2. And, and, the, and the, what they tried to do, and there was way too much micromanagement in that game, and, but what they tried to do was if you built uh, <laughs> weather towers, you would get some advance warning when there was going to be a storm, and therefore, you would know when the other guy's air units would be shut down, and you could take advantage of it and launch an attack there, and he wouldn't be able to use his air force. And it's a cool idea. It just didn't work very well on the scale of the game. And they might have done a winter thing, too, but I forget. Yeah, that was a bad game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's one of those, you know, it's yeah. one of those things where you, you put it, you think of a cool feature, and you just throw it in the game because it sounds like a cool feature, and it is, but yeah. it just doesn't work. Uh, as far as a gameplay feature, it just falls on its face. Well, I think that uh, the moral of the story here is we're not giving you nearly enough crap for bringing up Rune Factory as a potential strategy game. All you've done is make me intrigued <laughs> enough to, like, at least go try to find a copy so I can see whether or not you're an idiot or not. But I, I can't yeah, dismiss no. it out of hand. It really is. It's all about you've got a limited pool of stamina. How do you spend it? And as the game progresses, there are ways that it modifies that pool of stamina. For instance, uh, early in the game, all you can really do is plant some crops, water them, maybe go into one level of a dungeon, and then you're exhausted. And you have to go home and call it a day. Eventually, you find uh, something that unlocks a bathhouse. So, you can go to the bathhouse, take a bath, and completely replenish your stamina, which essential, essentially doubles the length of a day uh, by letting you go out and do everything over again. But the problem with the bathhouse is it doesn't open until 3 in the afternoon. So, you've got to, like, either do stuff and then kill time until 3 in the afternoon and take a bath or <laughs> call it a day before 3 in the afternoon. So, it's sort of – and it's so forgiving, too. I mean, you can just – Spend months on end just growing up some crops and storing up money. Uh, it just it, it, it's a sandbox game, and it lets lets you go at, at your own pace. Uh, one thing though, and I, again, I, I think this would kill it for a lot of strategy gamers. And I hate this in games. And it's so it's such a, a part of of these Japanese RPGs. The game relies on you running around talking to people, oh. which which is just like sitting through different loading screens to go to different Does areas of the town. You skip conversations to get to the good parts or are you like yeah you just rush over, the over and over and over and over again 
No, you can definitely rush over the conversations, but you have to go into the little menu and choose, you know, talk to Melody, talk to uh, Yuzuki. You know, you have to, like, go into a menu and choose to talk to them and then skip through whatever stupid little thing they're going to say, and that's part of the gameplay. Like, you won't unlock parts of the game unless you run around town doing that with different people. And it, it hides a lot of the, the essential features of the game behind some random conversation with with one of the dozen or so random people that live in town. And I just, I, that just, you know, the average player, just the average strategy gamer just wants to sit down and build this awesome farm isn't going to want to do all that crap. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, so Rune Factory, officially a strategy game, I think. And uh, if you can stomach some of those JRPG conventions, I, uh, I heartily See, recommend it. That, that'll be the tough part for me. I mean, I love the idea of a sim farm and sim village and, you know, Harvest Moon slash Animal Crossing slash whatever, but all the JRPG stuff, I hate that. See, what I really want. We well, you know is, what it's like. I, I want like an, ahead, I want an Agricola that has that sort of seasonality yeah. component to it. That's a, yeah. that's an RTS game. That would be yeah, fun. We, we mentioned Agricola so often in this podcast. I've got to get them as a sponsor. <laughs> Z-Man <laughs> Games. I've got to get call Z-Man Games. Say, look, we mention Agricola every week. Right. <laughs> uh, the, the, one of the things that uh, I, I imagine that, that Rune Factory is kind of sold as an RPG and it makes sort of more sense because that's the angle that they push more it reminds me a lot of Fable uh, in that you can run around and sort of do whatever you want but unlike Fable it's got a much more sort of demanding strategy end to it uh, Fable was just so wide open. Do whatever you feel like. If you want to buy a store, make money, you can. If you just want to adventure, you can. If you want to train your dog, you can. You, you know, Fable didn't have a sense of sort of geography, uh, so it's like Fable in that in that regard. But you're sort of limited by this stamina pool every day, and uh, it's and it's got this great sense of creating order out of chaos in that. You start out with this big messy field, with debris all over it, and tree stumps and boulders, and after like a month you sort of start to cultivate a little corner of this field. And after two months, you've cultivated half of it. And after three months, it's got like beautiful crops growing like out Viva of Pinata. it. And, uh, you know what? It's exactly like Viva Pinata, but without, uh, but, but with an RPG character running around who can also do little adventures. It's a very good comparison. I can't believe I didn't think of that. Yeah, very much like Viva Pinata. Yeah. Is that a strategy game? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah uh, what what else is it if it's not a strategy game? That's kind of a city builder, isn't it? Well, a city builder is a strategy game. No, right, right, but it, it, when, you, when you put yeah. Viva Pinata in that you cultivate oh, sure. yeah, this absolutely. neighborhood, and absolutely. depending on the neighborhood you build, that's who sort of shows up. That's that's who you get as your citizens. Yeah, I mean, they're all dependent on the existence of and supplies of other people in town, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Speaking of which, I'm playing a new city builder that isn't half terrible. Oh, yeah, you've, so you've mentioned this. Tell us about it. Uh, Grand Age is Rome from Hamamon Games, and I do not like Hamamon Games games. I've, they've never made a game that I've really liked. Uh, but Grand Ages Rome is really a surprise. It's almost a revelation. I mean, it's not great. It's not perfect. And it, it, it clearly has cribbed a lot of stuff from Caesar IV. Um, but I love the way the scenarios are set up. And the campaign is set up as, with factions. It, it, it looks like it's just this standard you know, Caesar IV campaign. You build one city, then build the next city, build the next city. But... Once you complete your first mission, then you have two people offering you missions, and then you have four people offering you missions, and they're all from different factions. And eventually you reach a point where you have to choose a side in the Roman Civil War between Caesar and Pompey, and some people will stop offering you missions. 
So the military people might stop offering you missions so you don't get all their rewards. You have to get other people's rewards. Uh, I think the campaign structure is very well done. Isn't this... I, it, what was their last game? Did they, didn't they do that in... They did that in Imperium, but I think they're doing it better here. I think it's... But, but, okay, but it was the same system in Imperium, wasn't it? Or maybe not? I, it may, I forget. I've, I just scanned through Imperium, uh, to be frank. Do you uh, get little cards with like missions on them? Is that in there? No. Okay. Yeah, no cards with missions. Um, uh, this is much. It, it's quite a bit. It's there's not a lot of you know. There's not the conquest there is uh, in Imperium Romanum. There's a lot more. The cities still don't look like cities. They still look a bit like town nodes, but it's a little more organic. Uh, the military system. I mean, for you know, a city builder, the military system's not half bad. Soldiers mm-hmm. gain experience. They have special powers they can use. Um, you have to build a navy. Uh, they support each other. It's, I'm actually quite impressed with how they integrated the military stuff, even. Um, it's really uh, a bit of a surprise for me. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't think I would like it. But, you know, they sent me a review copy, and I played it with misgivings. I looked at the box with misgivings. It's really not a very good <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, it's a game that I would. It's a game that I would recommend. I would recommend Grand Ages Rome as a city builder. It's better than Civ City Rome. <laughs> it's damning with faint praise. Well, it, it, it's, <laughs> well, I mean, but if you look at the number of, number of Roman city builders out there, it's not as good as Caesar Four. Right. Uh, but it's certainly better than Civ City Rome, and it integrates research. Grand Ages Rome has research in it, just like Civ City Rome did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a it almost makes sense the way it's laid out. You have to, before you can build a, a, a prefecture, you have to make sure your city has researched the prefecture technology, which I guess you could, you know, rationalize as you have to qualify for a prefecture or something. So you have to build schools. You have to build military academies and build up research points. And it all fits together in a nice, tight little system. Uh, the way that the food supply works. I, I mean, it's, it, it, I'm going to be giving it a pretty good recommendation, I think, when I write the review for Game Shark. Um, I mean, it's probably it's probably a good it's a good solid B game. And Can I'm you actually, talk a bit about the military? Because you mentioned that soldiers have yeah. special powers and whatnot. It sounds like a because because a, a traditional trap in a city builder is they want to sort of appeal to RTS fans, so they put a sort of a military RTS game on there, and it doesn't really fit, and it distracts you from playing your city builder. Yeah. Does this avoid that pitfall? I mean, it, it's still a distraction. I mean, it still gets you away from it a little bit, but uh, you can train your soldiers up to their to a like level four experience, so they're not going to be you know cannon fodder for the first little bit. There's not a, you don't need a whole lot of troops. It's not like in Caesar four you'd have like six legions to beat off the Carthaginians. You really only need three or four most of the time. You're taking out neighboring cities, um, so they certain troops have different strengths, and uh, they have their. The Hastadi can throw their spears and do quadruple damage. So there you go. You want to line those guys up, get those spears in before they're charged. So you want to take up the cavalry. If you want to take up the cavalry, you want your spearmen. So you got to get those in position. But it's fast. Um, your city generally runs quite smoothly without you. Uh, the alerts are clear. The signals are clear. Um, you don't, there's not a whole lot of micromanagement in the battles, but it's about lining up your troops and getting them into position and then reinforced properly. Um, I, it's not perfect. I mean, yeah, I'd probably rather not have it all together, but, you know, you need the soldiers. I mean, as um, one of the developers of the first Caesar game told me, you just can't have a Roman game without soldiers. I mean, <laughs> it just isn't well, that's, done. 
that's sort of true of a lot of like ancient city builders. Like it, I think that's an important dynamic is that sort of guns or butter bit. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you're sort of forced to divert some of your attention and funds to a military. So it, it just as a, as a basic game design, I have no problem with that. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that they've handled it well. By the way, Troy, I just want to say I am impressed with the facility with which the names of Roman troops rolls off your tongue. I, those are words that I I can read those words. I can just sort of, in a book, see the word and think, okay, that's some Roman thing. Uh, but I could never say it out loud. Right. You said something. Testati? What yeah. the heck is that? Testati were the first lines of Roman troops in the uh, Manipular Legion. You have the Estadi, the Principes, and the Triari. The Estadi were the what is Estadi? Like A-S-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-T-A-
drop me a line at troy.goodfellow at gmail.com. Say good night, everyone. Good, good night, night, all.